The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bleed green. Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. <laughs> this is Birds 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go. Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go. Let's go. Go. Good estimated Thursday morning, mm-hmm. folks. You got your Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald and Johnny McMullen here to hang with you for the next couple hours as we advance on an NFC East rivalry matchup. It was you got to call it a rivalry. Shoot, the Commanders only lost by three points to the Eagles earlier this year. Round two of Washington versus Philadelphia coming up in a couple of days, and Johnny Mac for a walkthrough Wednesday. I'd have to say more good news than bad for the Philadelphia Eagles on the injury front, right? Yeah, pretty blank. Uh, not, not Bradley Roby, the only one who estimated uh, did not practice. Not uh, uh, a complete surprise. One to two weeks was sort of the original assessment on on Roby. So we'll see if he can get back into it by next week, but. Uh, Milton Williams limited uh, with a heel uh, and Reed Blankenship full practice uh, with his ribs. So that's an indication. Reed will be back and you'll get the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders back end, uh, which is exciting with Kevin Bayard and, and Reed Blankenship. And of course, Jalen Hurts for all the talk, not even on the injury report. So that means he's a full participant, not. Doesn't mean he's not banged up, uh, but he doesn't mean he's going to play. That was the phrase that he used yesterday when he talked to you guys banged up when asked about how restrictive the brace was that he was using. He said, it's not the question I would ask. I would ask, what's it like trying to play banged up? So he admits that there's yeah. an issue there, 
but it's not an issue that will keep him either limited or out of a practice, which means he's going to be a go on Sunday. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. In watching the game on TV, I could tell something. There, there had been no report, no indication that he was playing banged up. But the way that he was running to me, it was obvious that something was up with his leg. Didn't know what it was. We found it afterwards. It was a knee. Uh, so there's something there. There's an issue there, but it's not something that Jalen Hurts is going to uh, cop to or admit to or or make an excuse for. Um, do you think the Eagles will, in any way, shape, or form, allow that to affect their game plan going into the game against Washington, knowing that they've got a banged up need quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, you always adjust for what's going on with your particular players. You saw it last year with the shoulder injury. When it came back, they certainly tried to protect it. Probably came back a little bit quicker than they would have liked if they were able to get uh, a win without them. Uh, they probably would have been, a little bit more cautious. So uh, they certainly adjusted things to get through it, to help protect it as much as possible. You always do that kind of thing. I, I There's so many players in this league that play through injuries, and I think that's one of the things that fans don't uh, always realize in that, you know, I look at Monday night and Christian McCaffrey, he's on the injury report all week and, He's got an oblique injury, a little bit tearing his oblique. He played every single play. Now, he was on the injury report because he didn't practice. So that's another thing, I think, because I got a question last week. Well, how can the Eagles get – he's not on the injury report because he's fully participating. And if the only way you show up on the injury report is if you don't fully participate in practice. Right. So there's tons of guys who are – playing through stuff and you never even see it because they participate fully in practice. Jason Kelsey would be, you know, there's always something wrong with Jason, but you know, he goes out there. Then now when you're on the injury report, like a Reed Blankenship, because he missed the game last week, then you have to, you know, when you're upgraded to a full participant, you're still on there because you were on it before. So it's a little bit of bookkeeping, um, but the fact that Jalen hasn't missed any practice time is the reason he never shows up on the injury report. And until he does, he won't show up on the injury report, but it doesn't mean he isn't banged up and it doesn't mean he's a hundred percent. Um, Fred Warner's another guy I saw on, on Monday night, uh, just beat up beyond right and kept coming back in the game. Um, Tons of guys on each team um, play through stuff. Jalen's going to be one of them this week. And I will give the Eagles this much credit. Nick Sirianni, who, at least in my eyes, seems to live from competitive advantage. If there's any way he can grab a competitive advantage, he looks to do that. Sometimes I think to almost ridiculous levels. He don't mess around with the injury report because that's something the league takes very seriously. If a guy doesn't participate, even with just an estimation when you don't have media guys like John McMullen or anybody else going in there to see who is or isn't practicing, I think the Eagles are forthcoming when it comes to the injury report. I don't think they're looking to get a competitive advantage from anybody. If they could, they would. They know they can't, so they don't. And uh, I, I give them full credit for that. 
and I don't have to live. If Jalen's going to full participate in practice, he doesn't have to. Now, again, I saw what I saw on Sunday, and I could tell he wasn't 100%. What percent was he? Jalen knows. I could guesstimate for you, but I don't even know if that, that would be fair or accurate. It, it's worrisome coming into the game. It's something as an Eagle fan you keep an eye on. You want to be able to see Jalen drop. I want to see him come out of the pocket. What he said yesterday, I thought was, and I, I again, much like Sirianni, I don't think he was looking to get a competitive advantage. He said, I only get hurt when I'm in the pocket. Well, no, you got hurt out of the pocket last year. Again. Yeah, a lot of people jumped on him. You know, people say stuff. We do it every day. You say stuff off the cuff. Sometimes you forget and you say something you didn't mean to say. And yeah, he did get hurt. Uh, outside the pocket so he was wrong but you know i think from his sentiment was look i usually when i do get hurt and again he's played through injuries before and some of them you don't even hear about or know about because i just explained he plays through them from his perspective uh, you know he he tends to get injured more in the pocket than outside of the pocket so i don't think it he was technically wrong, but I don't think it, it takes away from his point. And I think that was his point. Um, but yeah, uh, it, a lot of people jumped on that and it was like, I, I don't think he's trying to deflect you. He knows everybody and he probably realized afterwards and, um, you know, he misspoke. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully he doesn't get hurt this week inside or outside the pocket, but uh, the commanders will be coming for him. Uh, first chance to talk to the newest Philadelphia Eagle. Don't we have one of those like every 25 minutes? Yeah, we do. Adding <laughs> the newest Philadelphia <laughs> Eagle. You, you don't get to stay that for long with this team. Uh, but Kevin Bayard talked to the media yesterday, and I saw some clips from it. He's going to be uh, a really nice fit for this team, not just with the way that he played <laughs> safety. He's an upgrade for uh, what they had back there previous to. But he's also got an eagle mentality. You could tell just by what he said in his first chance to talk to the media. Uh, or are you a great player? Well, yeah, I'm a great player, but that doesn't matter because I'm just here to be as good as I can be for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's good, got that good team first mentality. And uh, I think the Eagles do take their time when they make an acquisition and they try and get someone who's going to fit the locker room, fit the culture of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think Bayard's going to be a perfect fit. Yeah, I do. Um, the Eagles, you know, I I don't know. I think they they happen to have a bunch of whether whatever you want to call them culture setters and good leaders and, but I mean they they'll take their shots at guys and we saw it with Jalen Carter. We saw it with C.J. Gardner Johnson. They'll they'll take their shots at with guys who, and in the case of Carter, I think it's completely unfair. Ironically. I think, you know, he just made a mistake and, I, and most of that was overblown. Um, CJ's uh, more of a, you know, I, I, he, he's more high maintenance. Not that he's a bad guy. He's just a high maintenance guy. Um, and, and you have all kinds of personalities in the locker room. Um, in the case of Kevin, as I said, he was a five-time team captain. Um is a great leader in a similar mold for Tennessee. What a guy like Kelsey or Malcolm Jenkins using his own position would be back in the day for the Eagles. 
Um, and that's part of it, and that's nice, but the playing part is more important, and the fact that he was a two-time All-Pro I think is more important. Uh, but, yeah, it's helpful uh, to have a guy like, like him who gets it, understands not only the role on the field but off the field. Um, it's just like an added feather in the cap of the acquisition. And, yeah, I mean, the rest of the league is just, you know, how he likes to win outside the margins. They're making the margins. You know, margins are supposed to be small. Right. The rest of the league is making them larger uh, because they don't try to do this crap. We mentioned it yesterday. Um, you know, they're the they're, they're arguably the best team in football. Obviously, you have to default to Kansas City because they're six and one. They won the Super Bowl and all that crap. But uh, they're arguably the best, the most talented team in football, and they're still trying to get better. And the and the rest of the muck is sitting there. Eh, eh, we're pretty good. If you're pretty good, uh, no need, no sense of urgency. Um, so those margins that we think of as small, they get larger. Um, and and you know, there's another report to how we still looking at. <laughs> like everybody brings up Patrick Sertan. I don't know what's going on in Denver. Why would you want to trade that guy? What? Why? In what world is that? All right, you're not ready to win right now. I get that. You're a bad football team. It's one of your arguably arguably your best player. Um, arguably one of the best cornerbacks. Not even arguably one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. He's still on his rookie deal. What? What? Why wouldn't he be? a part of your future no matter what. Now, there's other issues. Maybe he's making a plus and he doesn't want to be around a bad team. I don't know. I don't know any of that. But I know on the surface it doesn't make any sense um, why anybody would want to trade a player like that. But, man, there's there's a lot of dumb teams um, and a lot of dumb GMs in this league. So I'm through, you know, trying to to make blanket uh, decisions on guys not doing dumb things. You and I don't see Sertan as a guy who's going to be moved, but if you're talking about evaluating the rest of the league and those that are running their teams, the general manager in Denver, who basically, I would say the coach deal, the Peyton deal got done on an ownership level more than the general manager level. So when you're the general manager, the owner basically hires your coach who they needed to fire after only one year. That doesn't look good for a guy like Patton. Is he one of those guys in your mind, a general manager who can be taken advantage of? Yeah. 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 Um, Hasn't done a good job. Had a big reputation coming in. Did. You know, he was, he was sort of like, um, Eric DaCosta, he got so many uh, interviews over the years and he kept saying, not not right now, he's looking for the best spot. And he kind of had confidence in himself that eventually he'd find the best spot. And I think Denver was a good spot when he got there. It's turned into a worse spot since he got there. So I think um, that tells you all you need to know. But yeah, I think he can be taken advantage of. Um, yeah, but you and I both don't see. Here's the thing about Sertan. 
I understand where Denver's at. I know the position that they're in and they're committed to the coach long-term, even though I've gotten off to a pretty putrid start for him in his era. He's only on year three of a rookie deal. If he was on year four and you got a big increase next year and you think you're at least two years away, so you want to get uh, draft picks that are going to be then going through their five-year period of first-round draft pick in exchange for him. He's got two more years to go. So if you're going to be making moves going forward, he's still on his rookie deal for two more years. He's not a fourth-year rookie deal guy. He's a third-year rookie deal guy. He's taken in the same draft as Devontae Smith, and you've told us umpteen times if the Eagles had their choice, their chance, they would have taken Sertain, and he would have been an Eagle from the start. They just never had a chance to grab him. If he gets traded, yeah, he. Uh, sorry, Patton, you go immediately on the list of what the hell is that general manager thinking? Yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. Well, and I, by the I way, you and I have discussed this. I think this is is worth reminding Eagle fans: the Eagles are down now in in tradable draft pick capital. If I'm Denver and you're talking about Patrick Sutter, you're sure as hell not going to take a 2026 pick. You're not going to allow, oh yeah, we'll take a pick down the road somewhere for a guy we took in the top 10 in the first round just three years ago. That's not happening. And because the Eagles are short on draft picks, they're eventually going to get compensatory picks for the free agents they lost. They don't have them yet. You can't trade a pick you don't have. So Howie's only got so much ammo in the gun to be able to make another deal. I can't see him. I, I, know I can't loves- see it either, but I would say this, you know, this is a different type of player. This is, this would take a first round pick. I would think, I mean, I, I, I can't uh, imagine that. And would uh, you agree an immediate first round pick, not a future first round? No pick. immediate, but right. I give up my first round pick. The Eagles first round pick is going to be worst case, worst case scenario, bottom twenties. Right. Um, you know, best case scenario, 32, I'd give that up. I'd run, I'd race to give it up for a player like Sertan. Are you, what are the odds you're getting a player like that at 28, 29, 30, 31, 32? No chance. No, like no shot. Two, 2% at best more, maybe more like one. Uh, Yeah. And, and certainly not. Day one, when they step in, Patrick Santan's already one of the best uh, defensive backs in the NFL. So even if you got a really good uh, secondary play, that's you got to wait for him to grow. You got to go through the starting costs and everything else. It makes no sense, John. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with. I can't imagine they would trade him, but you just keep hearing whispers, and you go, and 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 you know, I'm getting pushed for. Some of these guys are just bad at their jobs, and I try to defend them. And I go, well, that makes no sense. And I say, no shot. And then you see, I would say, you know, Kevin Byer, 30. You know, you can make some excuses, explanations for that one. And I still think that's a bad decision. Uh, This one would be, uh, you know, you have a new coach, Sean Payton. We know his ego. Is there some reason he doesn't like him? I don't know. There could be a hundred different reasons, but if if they want to give you that player, yeah, I'll give you my 28th overall pick. I, I hope that's 32, but uh, if I'm right. the Eagles, but it doesn't matter what it's going to be. Yeah, I couldn't do it quickly enough, Jetty. 
and uh, I, there are some teams, maybe the Dallas Cowboys. I got in Jerry's case yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. He said they're, again, the upper echelon squad. That tells me he's not planning on making a deal. Jerry, you got a good team. You don't have an unbelievably great team where you can go, oh, we don't need anything. We don't need to upgrade. That's not what we're looking to do right now. That's the difference between the Eagles and the Cowboys. We're talking Eagles Commanders this week. It is an NFC East showdown, but it's between Washington and Philadelphia. We got two good guests to join both John and myself uh, to take both an Eagle perspective and a Commanders perspective. Coming up in a mere matter of minutes, our buddy Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer and WIP is going to jump in, talk about this game from a Philly point of view. And a little bit later, Chris Russell, he works for the uh, Commanders Radio Network 106.7 The Fan down in D.C. Chris Russell is going to come on and give us a Washington perspective. First up, our bud, Marcus Hayes. He joins us next here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, We've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. We're here to show you a better way to spend your state income taxes and get the money to where it's needed to move to the thousands of qualified kids. What we like about blocks is they really know where the need is. This program ensures that their dollars come 100% into these kids for their tuition assistance. If you are able, blocks makes the EITC piece go very quickly and very smoothly. Turn your PA state tax liability into need-based scholarships and receive a 90% tax credit. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. 
Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Thanks for streaming in with us today. We've got an able assistant joining us. Uh, one of our faves, Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer, always brings opinions when he jumps aboard. Here's where I want to start with you, Marcus, because I've always uh, thought of you as a good judge of the room. Last year, this year, the Philadelphia Eagles were undefeated. They didn't have a hiccup like they did against the Jets a couple of weeks ago. But they're 6-1. and one. They're tied for the best record in the National Football League. A lot of similarities between where they are in the standings compared to the other teams in the National Football League this year to last year. How different at all is the room this year for the Eagles <clears throat> as far as uh, how they handle themselves in the locker room, uh, motivational, uh, just general camaraderie, confidence level, and the like? This year's room comparable to last year's room at this stage of the season? No, last year's room was uh last year's room was uh uh buoyant, jubilant. They they were I think they were a little surprised at how good they were. They expected to be respectable coming off a playoff appearance, but they had no idea that once you know, the offensive line and Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown sort of got on the same page that they would be dominant. And that's really what they were last year offensively was dominant. And so they were they were happy. They were jubilant. This year, you know, a ton is expected of them. You know, the quarterback got paid. So he's got to be the guy. He's 255, right? You got to be 255 if you get paid 255. Mm -hmm. And – you know, he hasn't been too – he hasn't been – I don't know whether he's hurt. I don't know whether teams have figured him out. But he hasn't been nearly as effective or, or dynamic. Now, part of that, I think, is the rotating offensive line. Not that the replacements have been bad necessarily, just different. Their greatest power, their superpower as a franchise since 2013 when they hired Jeff Stoutland has been they've had aggregate, maybe not every – game or every season, but aggregate, they've had the best offensive line. That hasn't been the case most of this season yet, but the offensive line hasn't been as imperfect as the quarterback, who's been pretty imperfect. So to answer your question, last year they were happy. This year, I think they're a little worried. I think they're a little pressured. I think they're a little anxious. I, I would say anxious versus elated. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people forget, and Marcus points out, the Eagles weren't expected to be uh, one of the best teams in football coming into last season. All of a sudden, um, they turned into it pretty quickly, and the expectations weren't there. This time, the expectations are enormous each and every week, um, and not only just the quarterback, but on the entire franchise. And I think everybody, Nick kind of alluded to that because Nick, and you know, Marcus, he's very good about keeping things about this week, this day, get better, blah, blah, blah. And I was surprised he kind of admitted other stuff seeps in. You can't prevent it. And everybody knows the expectations. And I think that speaks to your point about the anxious nature of this. Um, I don't know how that's human nature. Um, and I think you're right. I think this team is tighter this year than they were last year. Um, it's the way I would describe it. But I got to tell you, and I need Marcus Hayes to do this for me. Give me something bad to say about Howie Roseman. 
You know, it, it, <laughs> the the only thing the only thing you can say bad about Howie Roseman is that the bar of general managers and decision makers in the NFL is pretty incredibly low, low right? Yeah. Incredibly. So low. he's you know he's the uh, he's the Brobdingnagon in Lilliput. You know, he's the giant among the tiny people. Now, I so, love that. I love that reference. Spectacular, yeah, by the way. And, and again, he's really good. He's really, really good. And he understands the value of now versus later. You know, my, my biggest issue with the process people, the trust the process people, was that they were Ugh. certain that all these draft picks were going to bear fruit. Right. Most don't. And the higher you pick, the bigger you hit, but also the bigger you miss. Yeah. You know, there have been busts in the last 15 years like we never saw before, mainly because you're essentially drafting high school players who didn't de- didn't spend the year after high school developing. So I said that to say how he loves draft picks, but he realizes that a, a good starting safety is more important than a fifth and a sixth round pick. And so now you have a, a starting safety. Yeah. And that's always been the case. You know, A.J. Brown cost them $100 million and a pick, and he's been a bargain. Right. You know, you can argue A.J. Brown's been the Bryce Harper of, of the Eagles. Incredibly expensive, yeah. but totally worth it on a lot of different levels. And, yeah. Oh, by the way, Marcus, last night on WIP, I actually got a caller who was ready to start the process with the Phillies. Because they got beat. It's oh time to, to trade oh Bryce Harper, get rid of yeah. JT Real Mutis, clean house. I'm going, and you lived through the process. You did this with the Sixers. You want to go there again? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you very much. And, and, much a, and a lot somebody, of ways. Call somebody else's show. I don't need to listen to I, I, I don't want to turn this into a Sam Hankey thing, but in a lot of ways he broke Philadelphia because everybody misses the, the point, and the goal is to ultimately win. And it's always about the future. Oh, you can't do that. You can't give up. As Marcus points out, and the NFL is different than the NBA. It's a little bit obviously different. But how, how does so many people not know that a two-time All-Pro safety, all right, he's 30 years old, he might not be quite what he was at 25, is better than a fifth and a sixth-round pick? I mean, especially that to me. Town, especially in this town where we've had two elite 30-plus-year-old safeties and Brian yeah. Dawkins and Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're playing quarterback and you need to be able to backpedal and get your hips around at 32, which that might be an issue, you know, in the second half of the season with two of the guys that are here. <clears throat> but the reality is, if you're playing safety, you're going downhill. Generally, you're very seldom asked to do the, the, the sort of athletic things that cornerbacks are asked to do in space. So, yeah, the uh, to, to your callers to respond to your caller. The Phillies have a better chance, I would say, right now. Um, if Ranger Suarez and Christopher Sanchez work out, they've got a better chance of being contenders for the next five years than the Eagles do. Because the Eagles are old. You know, at some point, True. Jason Kelsey's yeah. going away and Fletcher Cox is going away and Lane Johnson's going away and Darius Lay's going away. The Phillies, because baseball's prime begins later and lasts longer, the Phillies should be feared probably for the next five years. So the absolute opposite is true. They've, they're just arriving to their prime. Yeah. Tear it down, Marcus. <laughs> well, the, the hinky I, thing, I call last night. <laughs> the hinky discussion is interesting because they hit the sweet spot of um, 
relative frustration, but also social media explosion. The yeah. process is very largely <clears throat> a radio and uh, social media driven entity. Most people in Philadelphia had no interest in losing on purpose for even one or two years, much less four or five. And that's what it became. When we asked them over and over again, what is the plan? And they kept saying there is no plan. No time. Then, yeah. you know, no but, uh, yeah. but again, <clears throat> the social media aspect wasn't the launch. It was the commitment. Once you were part of a cult, you couldn't admit you were wrong <laughs> because there were years of evidence. Now you're a hundred. You by the up. way, you're a hundred percent right. It became a religion. It became a cult, and they were always going to move the the finish line. Right. First, it was about championships. Then it was about relevancy. Then it was about well, they got good players. Yeah, we all know. I, I the the irony of this, and I'll take it back to NFL general managers as a whole, because you have this whole influx of. Uh, new a, a younger group of gms who all think the same way marcus it's this group think sort of mentality but they all somehow convince themselves they're also the smartest guys in the room even though they stand among an echo chamber essentially and i i always tell jody if everybody does the same thing then it becomes much more difficult going back to we're conflating all sports, but I always go back to baseball with Billy Bean. Well, he did it first, so he had an advantage. Then when everybody copied him, you no longer have the advantage. Uh, so I've always been most impressed when it comes to executives, the guys who zig when everybody else is zagging. Like, I don't want the guy doing the same thing. I don't want so to that To your guy. point, to your point, okay, Probably the two most important innovators in the sports industry, vis-a-vis -vis analytics in the last, what, 30 years, 25 years, are Billy Bean and Daryl Morey. <laughs> Daryl Morey, you know, he, he's got the summit at MIT, right? Yeah. What if the, either of them ever won anywhere? Yeah. People forget, yeah, Billy won all those games in 104 games and how many straight, Jody, I forget, when they set the record. But they didn't win. <laughs> they didn't win. And they haven't won. And look, you got to be able to pick good players. I mean, <clears throat> but Howie Roseman, this is why Howie is special. Okay. He sees the value in talent that's developable with character. So in the second round, he drafts Landon Dickerson and Cam Jurgens. And in the first round, he drafts Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. Of all the people the Eagles have drafted in history, they might be, because of where he got them and who they're going to be, and maybe who they are already, they're going to be the biggest draft moves in Eagles history if they continue on this trajectory. Because all of them had these caveats. You know, too small, been hurt, you know, littering issues, too fat. Well, guess what? Those are the guys you're building your roster around. Over the, the, those are that's the new Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Lane Johnson, and Jason Kelsey, yeah. and that's why Howie's better than everybody else. And he understands that on both the offensive and defensive lines, he has coaches that can get the best out of these guys and let them be themselves, the best version of themselves, not make them into something they're not. 
And, you know, one of the reasons Jeff Stoutland's still here is because Howie Roseman overpays him. Yeah. If, that, if that's possible. I we're putting Howie on a pedestal here. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be on one because he is. But I almost feel the need to balance the scale. So let me just say this. Robert Quinn, fourth round pick. So Howie doesn't hit the ball out of the park every at bat, okay? Every once in a while, he takes a misstep. He takes so I don't understand step. the I don't understand the reference. I don't think a lot of your listeners will either. What's the Robert Quinn fourth round pick? Last year, you gave up a fourth round pick for a guy who came in and did at least squat. So I'm just saying, Howie doesn't get it right every time. He hits at a higher percentage than anybody if you're, else. If you're, makes him the bet. Michael Jordan didn't shoot a thousand percent from the field. If, if your proof against Howie is a fourth round pick. Yeah, I've been saying that. I just like I don't care. Trust the process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah with because Jody and I have had that discussion. I still say that was a good decision. Like I look at decisions, and you're going to get players wrong. Everybody, especially if you're around as long as Howie, personnel, you're going to get. You're going to. Everybody in the history of this sport has missed on draft picks. Everybody. Uh, you're you're oh. you're talking about the asset you gave up is a guy you don't expect to sign to a second contract who you hope is a backup and a special teamer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can argue that the biggest problem with that pick or with that deal is it took playing time against uh, away from someone who else someone else who might have played better. Right. But the picks are relevant. Once you get up, yeah. once you get onto the third day or whatever. What? You know, yeah. You're, you're yeah. throwing out rosters and, and, throw, and throwing the dice. Well, the thing I love about that, Marcus, is everybody will throw out. Well, Jason Kelsey was a six-round pick. All right. Then go look at all the other six-round picks. No oh, one's yeah, saying. Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. Tom yeah. Brady and Jason Kelsey yeah. have ruined ruined the conversation exactly. forever. Yeah. Mainly because if the, if the Eagles thought Jason Kelsey was better than uh, was worth more than a six-round pick. They'd have spent more than a six-round pick on him. Right. Same with the Patriots. Yeah. The Patriots and the Eagles were wrong for five rounds. Yes. Before yes. If Jason you take Kelsey Jason Kelsey in the first round, it's a huge success. Yeah. Right. So so uh, you don't even want me besmirching how his name is. Minimal mistake as it was. Um, then let me go here. <laughs> right now, the Eagles are fine because Jalen Hurts and his Walky knee, his banged up knee. He says he's fine. He's going to make it through. He's a tough guy, which he is. What if he catches it wrong on Saturday, and he does some Sunday? He does some significant damage to us. Marcus Mariota to rescue. Now, I was with Howie Roseman during the offseason. I thought the Mariota signing was a good one. I thought it was actually an upgrade from Gardner Minshew. I thought he was going to come in and fit this offense and be able to give them uh, maybe a better chance to win games if Jalen was going to miss. But then I saw the preseason, and John came on Birds 365 every day and said, yeah, he doesn't look good in practice. He's throwing (laughs) ball all over the place. It's just not good with Marcus Mariota when he goes in there. Sometimes you make mistakes. Howie doesn't make many of them. The coaching staff doesn't make many of them, but sometimes you make a mistake. And the good ones react to it, and they try and fix it. And Howie upgraded this that went different directions in the safety this offseason with Edmonds and Edmonds. And he got to a point that said, well, listen, I can get Kevin Byard. I'm going to go fix that. Mm-hmm. You, you make an evaluation. You look at it. You continue to evaluate. And sometimes you change in midstream. Have the Eagles messed up by not getting a better option at backup quarterback? We know it. We hope that it never comes into play. There's Marcus Mariota yeah, gets to handle that yeah. clipboard all year long. But if Jalen's going to miss two games, three games, four games, 
did Howie not put enough uh, efforts into getting a better backup quarterback and or fixing the one that he chose to begin with? So this has always been my pet peeve of radio shows and podcasts. Because unless you your next sentence, Jody, is such as, and give me three examples, yeah. it's not a fair conversation. And uh, number one. Number two, we don't know he's messed up. We saw Marcus Mariota play poorly with a group of guys he just met. And he was playing shortstop as well, Marcus, uh, because Brett Toth couldn't snap the football. So well, every yeah, and he wasn't in. playing yeah. with the front line guys. So yeah. we, you never know about a backup quarterback. You don't really ever know about any quarterback that's new to a system until he gets five or six games. And you know, hopefully, Marcus Mariota doesn't get five yeah, or six you, games. Come on, Marcus, you know better than that. That that's that's not the want to bleed. You don't get that chance. Nobody gets that chance. Nobody gets to step in and play massive reps with his fellow starting teammates if the quarterback goes down. You have to kind of fly by to see your pants. That's the way the league is set. Yeah, well, here's what you do with here's what you do with backup course, quarterbacks. No so backup quarterback comes yeah. in and wins the MVP. Yeah. I mean, Brock Purdy's the aberration, but Brock Purdy, you know, is probably the 13th best player on his team. So, yeah, I don't expect any – no backup quarterback comes in and is spectacular until he gets his feet under him, which we've all seen over and over and over again. That's how, you know, that's how Tom Brady came to exist, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And trust me, Tom Brady wasn't the best player on that team for probably the first three or four Super Bowls, much less the first four or five years. You know, they had a really, really good squad. So, yeah, you need four or five just to evaluate. Not that the guy's going to be even any good. He's going to be up and down probably the first four or five games. So what you ask of a backup quarterback probably isn't even what you ask of, of uh, Marcus Mariota in the preseason. You ask a backup quarterback to run a very, very condensed <laughs> group of plays, a very, very condensed playbook for, what, probably aggregate 150 or 200 plays over three or four games. So if they can execute those plays and he can actively not lose games, that's Marcus Mariota's job, to not lose the game, True. to have one interception per outing, even if you don't have a touchdown, to have yeah. one interception per outing. That's his only job. And we just don't know whether that's what he's going to be able to do. <laughs> but I will say this. Jalen Hurts has now been hurt every single season he's played in the NFL. He had a hamstring yeah. injury at the end of his rookie year. And that's not why Nate Sudfeld went in, but he was injured. And he's had ankle surgeries the last two years. He had a shoulder issue. And now he's got a knee. Stop yeah. running him. Yeah. Well, Jalen says it's not the running, Marcus. He gets hurt in the pocket, even though he got hurt running last year in Chicago. He kind of forgot that. But uh, um, when it comes to backup quarterback, I'll say, and and again, same thing we said with Kelsey and and Tom Brady as draft picks. You bring up Tom Brady, Kurt Warner, um, yeah, Nick Bowles here uh, making a run. Brock Purdy, as you brought up, those are the exceptions, and 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 generally your backup quarterback. Uh, like I think Gardner Gardner Minshew is a slightly better backup quarterback than Marcus Mariota. But nobody liked Gardner Minshew, and they lost games. So 
you're you're generally screwed in the NFL when you have to go to the backup. And I still think Marcus is top 10 backup in the NFL because he's got experience. The moment's not going to be too big for him. I have no problem with him being the backup. I was just pointing out he didn't play that well in training camp. And there's a lot right. of reasons for that, starting with the fact that he's a better shortstop than Trey Turner because of all the work he got uh, trying to pick up bad snaps. And that throws off the timing of the offense. Bottom line is you don't want him playing. That's fair to say. You don't want any backup quarterback playing unless you're Dick but, Vermeil and Trent but, Green gets hurt. But we were we we obsessed over this in the offseason because you knew Jalen was going to get hurt. Yeah. A backup quarterback for Jalen Hurts and other guys who get hurt, but a backup quarterback for Jalen Hurts might be more important than a backup quarterback for someone who gets hurt less, who puts himself in less uh, in harm's way fewer times. And a lot of the times Jalen runs, it's by, you know, he chooses to run. You know, he'll audible to a play. It'll be an RPO where he doesn't give the ball away or pass it. So, you know, it's going to happen. And if that's your price of doing business, if you're if that if that's what you will accept from your quarterback, so be it. You know, but yeah. you know, the backup quarterback for Jay, whoever Jalen Hurts' backup quarterback is, is probably going to get a chance or two to play. That's we'll better. see. We'll see if the, that comes into play this week. Hoping not, Eagle fans, that uh, we don't have to find out how ready Marcus, how good Marcus Mariota would be behind that Eagles offensive line, starting offensive line. Not Brett yeah. Toss snapping it to him. He'll go in right. and kick some tail against the Commanders this week. We'll see about that. Um, will the Eagles see the Commanders backup quarterback this week? Sam Howell at some point has got to go down because their offensive line is terrible. He's getting killed 40. on a weekly basis. 40. 40 oh, sacks through six games. Yeah, he's, set, he's on pace to break the record of David Carr, which I believe is 75 in Houston. And yeah, the bye week. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. He might break the record this weekend. Yeah. I don't I don't think he's going to oh, make it. Oh, t- t- time out. I got to go here with you, Marcus. Set the under over yesterday to seven. John and who else was that? Seven. Was it Gil? I think it was Gil. Yeah. Under seven. over seven and a half. Seven and a half yesterday. How many sacks for the Eagles on Sunday? I'm going under. I said seven. Yeah, I'm going under. So you're under. I'm the only one who's going over. I think they're getting eight. I think Hassan's getting four all by himself. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Maybe you've done some more better forensic investigation than I have of the matchups. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty damn. I I think the Eagles, part of the problem is I think the Eagles defensive front is so good that teams game plan to get the football out quicker. So the first time, you know, that I think they had five sacks. I looked it up. What was it, Jody? Five, I believe. Five, three by Nick Morrow. And yeah, that was the Nick Morrow game. And, you know, even Sam Howe, they told him, get the ball out, get the ball out. And it, it, so it's a little bit uh, skewed. Um, if he held on to the ball, yeah, we might have a, a like Carson Wentz last year. I had nine uh, down at FedEx Field, took nine sacks. Um, but teams are so scared of this defensive front, and you've seen it consistently. Kirk Cousins hangs on to the football, not against the Eagles. Um, ball was coming out. Tua gets the ball out quickly against everybody, got it out even quicker. Um, Boy, part of that, last part of that yeah. too is, you know, when's the last time they've actually had a linebacker who could cover a running back or a tight end? 
You know, it's just it, it, that's all that that weak underbelly. I I can't remember what was it Willie Thomas in the nineties. Willie, you know, Carlos Carlos Emmons in the early two thousands, something like that, where they had a, a weak side linebacker that would stay on the field and actually cover a tight end or a running back coming out of coming out of the backfield or coming off the line. Um, but again, that seems to be the trade off for the Eagles. They'll give you you know seven six-yard completions and a short field goal if you can execute and they can't get to your quarterback and they'll beat you, you know, 28 to 15. You know what I mean? That's, I think that's their play. That's their plan. That's their design. Um, and it's not going to change. And I think what they hoped was that Nicobe Dean would be that guy. Usually it's a bigger, a, a little bit, uh, longer live, um, athletic guy than Nakobe, who's a great athlete, but isn't very big. But I thought, I think they thought that they might have a guy who could cover a running back out of the backfield in Nakobe, And maybe they do. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to see that. He is by far. And I don't really get excited about players they draft or whatever, even though during the national championship game, I called them drafting Devonte Smith. Um, Nakobe Dean is the guy whose career I'm most interested to see since they drafted Brian Dawkins in the second round. I think he could be uh, he could be horrible. He could be, you know, never sign a second contract. But well, I think that's interesting, be really Marcus, because I asked this of Jody yesterday, so I'll ask it of you. This team is obviously the Kevin Byard move. There's an incredible sense of urgency. How he's trying to take advantage of this window. Mm-hmm. Nick Morrow's played well. But we all know N'Kobe Dean's the long-term answer, um, and they believe that. But Nick Morrow has been tremendous, and Nicope was kind of shaky last week. At mm-hmm. what point does the meritocracy part of it come in? Say, hey, we're going for a ring. We got to put the best player on the field right now. And I can't believe I'm saying this for a very s- small sample size. Right now, that's Nick Morrow. You go with the well, hot hands. Well, I think I think. This is the best way for every team in every sport to proceed. If you've got a player playing at a B level and a player playing at a C level, as long and the player playing at a C level is a greater like long-term investment, whether it's money you paid him or a draft pick equity that you've invested in him, or just you think he's got talent. As long as the C level player gets a little bit better every week, then you go with the C level player because at some point he's going to be better than a B level player. And especially if it's a, a position where if you're on a team where you can win other ways, you see that I think that's what you have to do because you see it happen with quarterbacks all the time, right? Bad quarterbacks, guys who can't play get yeah. chance after chance after chance because of the investment. Now the investment in Kobe Dean isn't the investment that they have even in Jalen Hurts as far as picks and money or whatever. Um, when Jalen Hurts was like, well, are we going to be, is Jalen Hurts going to be a starter in this league when we we're having that conversation? But Kobe Dean, to me, so far, hasn't been so much appreciably worse than Nick Morrow that he should be abandoned for this season. Um, I think he's got a really high ceiling. I thought Dawkins had a really high ceiling, and Dawkins was not good the first couple of years. He was okay, but he wasn't good. But the Eagles drafted him because he was probably one of the two or three best athletes in that draft. And I think Kobe Dean is one of the two or best athletes in the draft, was it two years ago, right? Yeah. 
I may have to cede my position as president of the Nicobe Dean fan club. I think, Marcus, <laughs> I think Marcus deserves it more than I do. Damn, I didn't know that that was possible. Uh, but I, I'm with you on everything you said because I like the player as much as you do. I, Nick Sirianni, and I'm a big fan of the coach. A couple times in the last few weeks, he's kind of puffed his chest a little bit. He's kind of been a little uh, with the media out there and letting people know that they've achieved something. I think last week against uh, Mc, uh, McDaniel because he was getting a little too much shine nationally. Uh, the whole, if anybody else can do it, tell them to do it. We run the tush push. And he did so with a smile and a smirk and a turn of his head. Like, yeah, I'm looking at you guys. Yeah, we can do it. Nobody else can. Uh, smug doesn't work well for Sirianni. And I've seen that a couple of times in the last few weeks. Am I just making this stuff up? Or has the coach kind of been smelling himself a little bit of late? Well, I think Nick has been pretty consistent since the very first press conference in that he he's a huge fan of Nick Sirianni. And I think you kind of have to be to do that job. And the, the lack of humility compared to other coaches, you know, high-fiving the fans on the field, you know, running up and down, getting in the, you know, I mean, we probably haven't seen this kind of coaching, well, really ever when it comes to interaction and talking with the fans and to the fans and, uh, you know, gigging people in the media and that sort of thing, combined with exuberance on the sideline. We've seen Mm -hmm. back in the 70s, you had a lot of exuberant coaches. So, yeah, again, I can't thank the Philadelphia front office is enough for since I became a columnist in 2010 and the Phillies were, you know, going out and signing Cliff Lee and having nine starters. And, you know, then we had to trust the process for years. And then we, you know, all of us, you know, the, the Eagles had this great run and that starts, you want to talk about smelling themselves, how Roseman and Doug Peterson couldn't, couldn't smell themselves enough for a year or two. <laughs> and then they turned into a quarterback factory Nick Sirianni is gold, Jerry. He is gold for me. He is gold for us. So God bless him. I hope he keeps running up and down yeah, the sidelines. You're, you're looking at through Marcus Hayes' yeah. eyes, which I kind of yeah. expect you to do. They're your well, eyes. But I'm asking you to look through other people's eyes, the opposition who's coming in and getting prepped and ready to go against the Eagles. That hey, Could he give everybody, anybody a little oh, extra yeah. motivation with the way that oh, he's yeah. been handling Absolutely. I mean, Nick Sirianni – and I don't know that this isn't calculated and I don't know that he cares, but he, he very much will be, if he isn't already one of the most despised coaches. He's a heel. He's hated everywhere and, else. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that absolutely is motivation, especially in football because football coaches and players have nothing but time. So they are affected disproportionately by the noise and the perception. And you see it all the time in these football coaches. They go crazy at the podium. They know it's coming. They spend three days waiting for it. Like, what is it, the B. John Robinson stuff down in Atlanta? Oh, yeah, Arthur no. Smith, baby. Arthur yeah. Smith. I mean, he knew it was coming. Yeah. He knew it was coming, you know? And there's the, the, one of the great things about, like, dealing with Andy Reid, okay? 
is that Andy Reid understands that three minutes after the press conference, the press conference shouldn't matter, right? The rest of it, so many more, so many other of these guys do not keep the main thing the main thing to borrow Jalen's phrase. The main wow. thing is winning football games, not justifying your decisions that have already been made, whether it's not putting somebody on an injury report, not using them enough, whatever. That's just foolishness and bad leadership. So I, I, I do wonder at some point, will Nick's uh, indulgence of his emotions either backfire or set a tone, all, if it hasn't already, on this team where there's too much emotion? And the reason you know, why... We've seen, when's the last, I did not expect to see Jason Kelsey blow up on the sidelines. Ever. That's true. The way he blew up on the sidelines, you know. So there's a there's a really there's an interesting sort of alchemy here. When is the coach's emotion? When are the coach's emotions a a good thing versus a toxic thing? And the reason why I I felt the need to go there this week was because John caught this and brought it to my attention. Nick admitted this week. Yeah, we're always looking for something to motivate us. We're always, even if we're the underdog, even if we got to make it up, we'll come yeah. up with something to get us motivated. So he readily admits that, yeah, you come up with stuff to just, even if it's not really there to try and get the players motivated. Yeah. Guess what, Nick? You're handing it to the opposition on a silver platter with the way you it's handle true. your own. Well, I, I would argue, lot. I would argue, guys, it's already come up to a certain extent in the loss to the Jets. You know, you saw the overconfidence, the overexuberance, third and nine. Zach Wilson's on the other side. Look, if that's Aaron Rodgers, you, you try to win the game. If that's Zach Wilson, you lay up, you punt the football and say, Zach Wilson, go beat me. It's not going to happen. So I think you already made a mistake from a little bit of that, you know, hubris, confidence, whatever you want to call it. Uh, at Ink Stained Wretch. Make sure you follow Marcus on Twitter. Read him, inquire.com. Listen to him on WIP with Jody occasionally. Um, not together, but uh, on the same stage. I have no problems doing show yeah. with Marcus. Anytime um, you and Marcus no, together, no. I'm down for it. Um, radio, might, radio might explode. The entire <laughs> industry might crumble if that ever happens. I'm going to go a different way with you with Nick Sirianni. My final one to you. Since that two and five start, Marcus, this guy's freaking twenty-seven and seven. You you know how this industry works, um, and he doesn't have a lot of power when it comes to building the roster. The old Bill Parcells quote: "Yeah, if I'm gonna cook the dinner, let me buy the groceries." It seems to always happen. The Eagles have this tremendous setup. Howie, we talked about how he's tremendous at his job hands the personnel over to Nick Sirianni. At one point, it seems like the ego gets to all these coaches and they want more. They want more power. Is that going to happen with Nick Sirianni? Um, I don't think so. Um, Doug Peterson didn't want power over personnel. He wanted power over hiring his own staff. Nick already has that. There is precedent in that the Eagles have fired a coach that won a Super Bowl and went to the playoffs recently. They do not view coaches, clearly, they do not view coaches as sacrosanct. Then I think they think they have a shelf life. Jeffrey Lurie's moved quickly, twice. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and I honestly think, like, Nick's a nerd. You know, you've, you've seen him. He is never happier than explaining the mechanics and the theory and the history of a play that Bo Wolf or Zach Berman will ask about and the thought process behind it. And those kinds of coaches are, are rare, to, especially when they talk to the media, but they love to teach. They love to coach. And that's what gets them off. Like there's incredible joy in that. And not a lot of co not many head coaches, head NFL coaches, NFL coaches are great teachers. And not many have the bandwidth and the humility to don't have the bandwidth to do the GM job and don't have the humility to let it be done for them. Um, I said all that to say, no, I don't think Nick is ever going to crave final say. I think he might want more say, and I think they're going to give it to him. One of the things that Jeffrey and, and uh, uh, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman are pretty good at is listening to people they respect. And the more respect he earns from them when it comes to evaluating players and, and saying, okay, this guy's going to fit my system because X, Y, or Z, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the more power or say he's going to have. But he'll never supplant Howie. Um, and I, I, I like the separation of church and state. And... I, I don't think that he's that cat. I just think he's such a football nerd, such a coaching nerd, that he is going to be sort of happy, mainly staying in his lane. Well, it's a story that we're going to have Marcus Hayes back on to discuss at the end of the season because at some point you got to talk about an extension for Sirianni too. If they have a good season again, if they win a Super Bowl, forget about it. The extensions are given. If they get close but don't quite get it, What's it going to cost? How long is it going to be? That'll be an interesting conversation. But commanders first, over seven and a half seconds. Remember, you heard it here first. Marcus mm. said just under. John said under. Jody Mack said over seven and a half sacks on Sunday. Uh, Marcus, always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you much for ha hanging out with us this morning. We'll do it again soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Marcus Mark. Hayes, Philadelphia Inquirer, and WIP here with us on 94. Uh, Mac oh, Mac on Birds yeah. 365. Right? Yeah. That two was my WIP. fault. Two WIP guys get together yeah. and we yeah. get WIP on the break. All right. Mac and Mac here on Birds 365. Timeout coming. We'll give the uh, props to the opposition going behind enemy lines next hour. Chris Russell from the uh, Commanders Radio Network is going to jump in with us here on Birds 
If you own a company and you're not producing a podcast, you're missing out. The public consumes messaging when they're ready. Join the professional podcast network of companies and let Jacob Media Partners put you in the podcast arena. Come to our professional studio or we'll come to your place of business and professionally produce your company podcast. Call Jacob Media right now at 267-261-3428. My name is Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And I'm the medical director of Philadelphia PRP and Stem Cell Institute. I'm reaching out to those who suffer from spine and joint pain. We use treatment methods that require no surgery, no scalpel, no drugs. Running, walking, or whatever your desires are, Dr. Groshner is where you need to come. You can benefit from the same PRP and stem cell treatment as Wilbert Montgomery. Call us now at 610-222-5675. We're here to show you a better way to spend your state income taxes and get the money to where it's needed to move to the thousands of qualified kids. What we like about blocks is they really know where the need is. This program ensures that their dollars come 100% into these kids for their tuition assistance. If you are able, blocks makes the EITC piece go very quickly and very smoothly. Turn your PA state tax liability into need-based scholarships and receive a 90% tax credit. Win and save this baseball season from Colony Pools and Power Washing, a local company serving Delaware, Delco, and Chester County since 1970. Are you tired of looking at your greenhouse? Is your roof, siding, deck stained green from algae and mold? Let the experts pressure wash your home and take the pressure off of you. Win with Colony Pools and Power Washing. Call them now at 302-762-2250. That's 302-762-2250. Me, Johnny Mac with Johnny Mac McMullen here with us on Birds 365, a Thursday prep day for the commanders uh, coming up in D.C. on Sunday. Uh, we're kicking back and forth, having some fun with how many sacks the Eagles are going to get. And it's sorry to say, Commander fan, we got Chris Russell feeling <coughs> in less than 15 minutes about how uh, porous that offensive line has been down there in Washington so far. But just in general. Got to give the Eagles defense credit, Johnny Mac. Uh, the, uh, first five games of the year, the Eagles win in all five. Boom, five and out. Oh, just like I said before the season started. Yeah, I've been wrong two weeks running. I uh, thought they were going to beat the Jets. Didn't happen. Thought the Dolphins were going to move the football against them. Thought the Eagles would score. I hit the Eagle number right on, on the head, 31 points. I thought the Dolphins would score more than that. They didn't even come close. That was a hell of a defensive effort by the entire defense this past week. Is Sean Desai getting his proper credit for where the Eagles' defense is seven games in? Um, yeah, I think he's getting a lot of love. Um, uh, I think, you know, part of it is because the old defense coordinator wasn't very well liked, but part of it is because they're very successful. I think sixth overall, I believe they're up to. Um and if you would have told me that 
at this point of the season, I would have said, eh, probably not. Um, number one against the run, big improvement there, which I think is directly related to the improvement of, of Jordan Davis. Um, the pass defense isn't as good, but that's expected with all the changes. Um, and then all the injuries. <clears throat> I think he's gotten a lot of love, though. And, you know, it's built. I, I say that defense is pretty simple. It's built on the defensive front. And if if that group wasn't as good as it is, I think we'd be having a whole different discussion right now because I don't think that back end would have held up. And part of it isn't his fault because he had so many moving parts with the injuries. The, the nickel position is crazy, just how many bodies they've had to use to this point. Um, so part of it isn't his fault. Um, but those guys make up our buddy, Clay Harbor, former Eagles tight end, just put up a, a people should check him out on Twitter X, um, just put up a, a, a little clip of Jalen Carter against Miami, uh, a series of plays. Now on the stat sheet, he didn't do much. I think he had one tackle, didn't have a sign dominated, dominated the game. He shows you play by play, one of just hurrying. Tua constantly in the backfield. Um, I think Pro Football Focus. I looked at the other day. We were talking about their rankings. He's number one as a rookie in the entire NFL amongst edge de- uh, interior defenders. Interior. Um, it's been unbelievable. And then you have the the guys who are already there that we know: the Reddicks, the Sweats, playing tremendously. Fletcher Cox is having a great season. Um, they're so deep, they can come at you in waves. Or Davis, as I just spoke about, he's one of the most improved players in the league. Um, yeah, they're carrying it, but so what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't, you know, if they're that good, there were Tampa Bay had about two minutes when they took advantage, Jody, of the slot stuff, and then the defensive front took over, took over. Um, they were trying, but they could they didn't have the time to do anything. Um, the Rams took advantage of it for a half, and they have the best slot receiver in football, number one, and they took advantage of it for an extended period of time, and then they couldn't because the, the front took over. Um is somebody going to be able to uh, – and now they're getting better with Bayard and uh, helping at safety. So now you have a bunch of guys, whether it's Roby when he gets healthy, Eli Ricks, Sidney Brown's going to move back to the slot, Josiah Scott. They got a bunch of bodies, um, but still it's not not great. No. But it, it hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered. And, again, credit to the guy who's putting the roster together. This is the way how he envisioned it. We're going to be so good up front that we can put whoever in the slot, whoever at that other safety position, as long as they're okay at best, we'll be fine because they're not going to be able to pick on them because we're going to get to them before they get a chance to pick on them. That's the way how he allocated his resources for those positions coming into the year 
and it's going pretty much to plan. Uh, so even though the Eagles have had to go out and do a Bayard type deal, get them, not that they paid much to get them, but to upgrade that position, um, they're, they're getting the results that they need. And you're right, at sixth overall at yards per game, not too shabby considering how many defections they had from that this defense and the injuries they've had from this defense so far. So I'm giving a lot of credit to uh, the Eagles defensive coordinator. How about the offensive coordinator? We judge these guys on a week-to-week basis. Brian Johnson, um, I've, I thought he had a relatively poor game call against the Jets a couple of weeks ago. They did what they had to against the Dolphins, put up the 31 points that I expected, uh, ran the ball effectively when they needed to, made the big plays. Having A.J. Brown always makes everything a hell of a lot easier. Uh, but uh, I think last week was a big win for Brian Johnson. So if you look at two coordinators together, we, you and I have been harping on this since the, both of the two coordinators got hired away after a Super Bowl trip for the Eagles last year. Brian Johnson holding up his end of the bargain, his uh, play calling responsibilities. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I joked that already somebody took over the fire Brian Johnson on X, uh, uh, the accounts. Um, I think the difference there again is the expectations. Like there were such high expectations for the offense um, coming into the season and, you know, they were number two in the NFL coming into that game against Miami. Miami was number one. They were number two. Um, they fall, They fell back. They're number three right now. They're number four in rushing offense, number nine in passing offense, number four in points per game, number two in third down offense. They were number one, uh, number four in fourth down offense. The only thing that has been a bit of an issue is the red zone offense and they're up in out of the twenties. They're up to nineteenth now. Um, so, could they be better? I guess, but that's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good. But the expectations were so out of whack. People, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people have somehow framed that. Were, were they out of whack or were they reasonable? They, they were elevated from where you started the year before, but I don't think uh, people were unfairly expecting Eagles to score 40 points a game this year. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about the people who, who've called him a failure. Um, you know, there they're, they're are 389 yards a game. They had 425 or more for four consecutive games there, um, which is only the third time in franchise history they've done that. So, you know, unless your expectations are that isn't good enough, well, then how is it not good enough? It doesn't happen every day. It's not like it's a common occurrence. Um, I don't know how many other teams other than Miami are top 10 in every meaningful category except red zone. Um, and they'll probably get to top 10 in red zone when it's all said and done. Um, yeah, I I think the expectations have skewed people's thought processes on Brian Johnson is versus Sean Desai because they didn't expect much of the defense or as much, I shouldn't say, you know, and that's probably. But do you that's think probably, that's, do you think that's unfair to Johnson? The offense stayed intact, save losing their right guard, and oh by the way, 
I think the fill-in was doing a dynamite job till he got hurt. So you got to factor that in. You're now on your third string as compared to last year, right guard. But other than that, the offense is completely intact. Didn't you expect them to hold the line right where they were? Wasn't that fair to expect that with the offense defense? No, I, I, I make major changes because I of free agency. I think it's fair to have high expectations for the offense. I think it's unfair to say that the offense hasn't reached those expectations because they may, they, they may be doing it in a different fashion. And I, and, and the worst part of the offense, to be honest, isn't the red zone. It's the turnovers. Um, that's where they, if you take away, they had that ridiculous run at the start of last season, Jody, I forget they were plus minus. It was outrageous uh, before it started to correct a little bit. Level off, right? Um, they're minus two now. If 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 they took care of the football like they did last season, early in the season, they'd be way ahead of where they were last season. So, from twenty to twenty, this has been a juggernaut offensively. And then some things have bogged down from there. Jalen Hurts, too many turnovers, some his fault, some not his fault. Um, but overall, it's been every bit as explosive as an offense as I expected, as most should have expected. Um, and other than Miami, the most explosive offense in the NFL. And the thing that surprises me most about it is They've been doing it now for weeks without the threat of Quez Watkins speed. Just amazing that this offense has been able to continue on without Quez Watkins. <laughs> You're not going to let that one go. Never, never. <laughs> He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Joining us next, our buddy Chris Russell from the Redskins uh, Radio Network, reporter, writer, uh, commentator on all things commanders. He joins us next here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits, go for the stakes and the stakes, go to get your parlay on, go to get your party on, go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win, go to ocean, visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
We're here to show you a better way to spend your state income taxes and get the money to where it's needed to most to the thousands of qualified kids. What we like about blocks is they really know where the need is. This program ensures that their dollars come 100% into these kids for their tuition assistance. If you are able, blocks makes the EITC piece go very quickly and very smoothly. Turn your PA state tax liability into need-based scholarships and receive a 90% tax credit. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Mac Mac here with you on Birds 365. We're going to give you a Washington's perspective for the next 20 minutes or so. Here from the Commander's Radio Network 106.7. The fan down in D.C. is our buddy Chris Russell. Chris, here's where I got to start with you today. You're not going to be so bold, so foolish enough to say that if the Commanders don't win, that you will give up all your broadcast responsibility. <laughs> because I know a Chris R. who did that this week, and he's paying a price for it right now. You're, you're not going to follow in the Mad Dog's footsteps, are you? Well, Jody, you know, th- that would be an absolute <laughs> joke to race if I did something like that. I mean, who would ever do something like that, Jody? That is crazy. That is nuts. What do you Very think good. about that, dog? <laughs> Never heard your mad dog impersonation before. Very good, Christopher. I, I appreciate Not it. Not bad. Uh, Not bad. I've been studying it for 30 years, you know. How are you guys? Very good. Doing well. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, you. Uh, it, it, you know, Washington's an interesting team to me, and mm-hmm. I, I, they're improved. I like what Sam Howell has done. They're certainly not protecting him. But before we get into the the nuts and bolts of what's going on with the commanders, I want you to go back to the first time these two teams met. Mm-hmm. How did it go over that Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, who I've stripped him of that nickname, <laughs> did not go for the win on the road with a with a chance to steal that game? So it, it was high. It was highly criticized, as you guys could imagine. Um, now I was there, um, and in the moment, I got to be honest with you, I was thinking just kick the extra point, tie this game up. You just tied the game. Don't, don't bank on losing this game on one play where something could terribly go wrong, a sack, which happens all the time. You know, a receiver slips, doesn't get separation, what have you. Um, So I was thinking in the moment, play it safely, extend the game. You have momentum from that last drive, even though the Eagles had scored on their last drive, so on and so forth. Now, I am more conservative by nature than most people. uh, So I'll admit that plays into some of it. 
in hindsight, obviously, I understand the criticism of Ron. And, of course, because they lost, you know, if they would have won in overtime, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But they had the ball first. And if Terry McLaurin is, like, this much more inbounds, they convert on a third and I think it was seven or whatever it was. And then they extend that momentum and extend that drive. And maybe they score. Maybe they score a field goal. I don't know. Here's the bottom line, guys. I take you back to 2020, the first year, you know, remember when we were under the pandemic. Uh, and there was no fans. We were up MetLife Stadium, and Ron and the Commanders, then the Washington football team, scored a game-tying touchdown, make it 20-19 to 19 with about 30 seconds left against the Giants. And Ron went for two, and they lost. Uh, a receiver slipped or whatever happened, so they lost the game. And afterwards, he said, well, you know, I've always been told at home you go for the, uh, you, you go for the tie. On the road, you go for the win. Yeah. And I said – Curiously, I said, well, there's no fans here. I mean, you're just in a road <laughs> stadium. There's no fans. What does it matter? That's either a good point. That was a good point, Chris. Yeah, either That's you go for the win or you don't yeah. go for the win. It doesn't matter where you are. But mm. uh, just taking him for his word. But then three years later, two and a half years later, whatever it was, he's on the road. He's in yeah. a packed Lincoln financial field. He said three years ago, I go for the win on the road. And then he doesn't go for the win on the road. Nothing that Ron Rivera says much makes sense quite honestly uh want to ask you a position specific question because the eagles had a couple of tight ends make plays against them i wouldn't say they've been buried by tight ends but some tight ends have made some plays against them their linebackers ability to cover mm-hmm. isn't great mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna add a kevin byard this week we'll see what he does to their coverage but their safety coverage isn't great if I've got a good tight end, that would be something that I would make a main part of my game plan. Logan Thomas, he had three catches against the Eagles the first time. Uh, okay numbers for the year. One of the more, I think, physically gifted tight ends, quarterback turned tight end who's bulked up and the like. What kind of year is Logan Thomas having and how big a part of the offense do you think he is this week against the Eagles? So I do think he'll be a bigger part uh, than maybe most weeks some of which you just mentioned, Jody, with the addition of Bayard and, and, and um, uh, what is it? Reed Blankenship, right? Um, yeah, you, know, Reed Bang, Bang, right. Yeah. you know, and, and some of the changes in, in the middle of the defense, if you will, of the Eagles. But what I will say is, is this uh, Logan, you know, hasn't a been able to stay healthy. He started off this year poorly, a couple of drops against Arizona, and then he caught a touchdown on a fourth and goal from the four in Denver and got his lights knocked out uh, by Kareem Jackson, who we all know has been in the headlines this year, right? And he missed the rest of that game and missed the next week because of a concussion. And I don't know if he's ever really been right since then. Now, I know, uh, you know, former Redskins head coach Jay Gruden uh, comes on my show on, on, on Team 980 every Monday afternoon right after the game. And he was killing Logan as a blocker. And he's right. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a good blocker. He He's willing to give an effort. But what what the what the Washington commanders need to do, especially being that they're passing the ball roughly about 70 percent of dropbacks or I should say 70 percent of offensive plays compared to 30 percent roughly about the run is they need him to hold on to the damn ball and be a major factor to where you get eight, nine targets six, seven catches, 75-ish yards, because I guarantee you Dallas Goddard, as you guys know, is 
going to be a big part of the Eagles game plan as he was early on against the Dolphins, as he is most weeks. And I'm telling you this, I'm going to attack the Washington secondary with Dallas Goddard because they play a lot of soft zone and there's always room. Go check out the Darren Waller tape from last week at MetLife Stadium. There's always room in the commander's soft zone for a tight end to pitch a tent and basically set up. <laughs> um. Well, I, I, I will start since you went down the secondary route, Chris. Please tell me, please tell me Jack Del Rio is not going to throw Emmanuel Forbes to the Lions again. My God, they had him traveling with A.J. Brown. And yeah. they have two good corners right. who have played Benjamin St. Juice. Fuller's a good player. What the heck were they trying to – that poor kid <laughs> who's got a lot of talent yeah. He may never recover from that. Well, you know, John, it got worse actually after we left Philadelphia that really? day. Because, you know, if you guys remember what happened on the Thursday night game against DJ Moore and the, and the Bears, uh, and then yeah. he finally got benched, right? So, so let me work through this. Since that game against the Bears, Emmanuel Forbes only played, I think, five defensive snaps. He was Ugh. active for both games, didn't play the one in Atlanta, um, and then played, I think, four or five defensive snaps on Sunday against the Giants. Now, so I, I think Obviously, I don't think that's going to be something we're going to see again. I think you'll get a lot of Benjamin St. Juice, uh, who is who has the body type to work against A.J. Brown. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't get beat. He does. And A.J. beat him week three at uh, week three at FedEx Field last year on a on a quick slant uh, inside the 10 yard line for a touchdown. And I mean, again, St. Juice gets beat, but St. Juice has the body type, the frame the mentality, and now the experience. I think he's in year three of his career to kind of go at least try and neutralize a guy who's ripping off, what, a buck 25 like that Five pretty much every games. game. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that'll, of course, be the game plan, and that should be the game plan. Now, as to why it wasn't in week four, here's the reason. And this is what, again, goes back to the philosophy of this organization. The philosophy of this coaching staff doesn't make a lot of sense. And here's what I mean. They drafted Forbes number uh, 16 overall in the first round. He plays outside corner. He He's only really an outside corner. That's what he did at Mississippi State. That's pretty much what they did with him all throughout the training camp preseason. Benjamin St. Just is pretty much an outside corner who they tried to shoehorn in as a slot guy. Again, not the quick twitch frame, if you will, to yeah. be a slot guy. And then Kendall Fuller, they hate in the slot, even though early in his career he was proficient in the slot. So they basically have three outside corners. And count with me, guys. I went to Buffalo State University. <laughs> I might not be a math major. Three outside corners. Is there three outside corner positions on most normal NFL teams? Uh, there are not. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's what I thought. Um, so, so you see where I'm getting at here? Yeah. Again, it'll be St. Houston Fuller on the outside with Danny Johnson in the slot uh, on Sunday uh, on Sunday at FedEx Field. But it, it, the the whole plan, the thought process, just did not make sense. And we've been on that, you know, for a long time, and they don't want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Give me your read on the running back position for the Commanders, because I thought coming in, Brian Robinson was going to be the guy who would get. Mm -hmm. The majority of the snaps, I like Antonio Gibson. Tommy's good out of the backfield, uh, but I thought Robinson was better. 
it's been pretty dominant that Robinson has been the main man. We've seen more sharing here in Philadelphia, even though DeAndre Swift, for me, week two had such an unbelievable game that they had to make him number one. And Eagles have done it, but not as heavy-handed as, as some Eagle fans would like to see. How are they determining who's getting the carries, who's getting the chances, who's getting the play, who's getting the run down there in D.C.? Yeah, and just one note about DeAndre Swift. It's kind of interesting, right? He came into that week four game against the Commanders red hot, and I thought that was ultimately going to be the difference, and they did a pretty good job shutting him down. And, uh, I mean, you guys would know better. It doesn't seem like he's been as good or as effective since that particular game. But that's okay. that. That's one other side of it. Uh, for the <laughs> Commanders, Brian Robinson entered the year as the number one back, clearly. Antonio Gibson, fumbling issues. Um, you know, really kind of replacing the J.D. McKissick third down role. Still, they certainly give him the ball a little bit as a runner. He cannot run in between the tackles and not fumble. I mean, it, it's all the time. So that's a problem. He's fumbled and lost two fumbles already week one and week three. Now, one was as a receiver trying to get extra yards, but again, in the middle of the field. So if I'm Sean Desai and the Eagles, I'm like, please, please give it to Antonio Gibson in between the tackles so that I can force this kid to fumble because he'll do it almost every time. Now, that being said, what I've been most disappointed by is that they do not give Brian Robinson a chance to get the oil running through the engine. They're only running, again, when you factor in pass attempts and sacks and designed uh, calls and all that stuff, only running about 30% of the time. Some of that is game and, and, and deficit you know, situation dictating, i.e. the Bears game. Even last week, they were down 14-0 midway through the second quarter. But am I like, what are we doing here, guys? Your quarterback is not good enough. He's a rookie plus. Your offensive line <clears throat> is not good enough. It's just not good enough. No matter what metric you want to use, it's just not good enough. And we're passing the football in some cases, like Sunday, 75 plus percent of the time. If you're Eric Bieniemy, a former Philadelphia Eagle once long ago, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. And the one kid that has actually shined when given the limited opportunities that he has, and I don't think he played in the Eagles game. I'll have to double check that in week four. I think he was sick uh, or maybe inactive because he was sick the week before. Whatever the deal was is Chris Rodriguez, sixth round rookie out of Kentucky, tough, physical, downhill, gets yards after contact, has good vision that I don't know if Brian Robinson yet has the same level of vision, if you will, to read off his blockers and to hit whatever hole they want him to hit that Chris Rodriguez has. So I would expect the commanders to not be run heavy by any means, maybe a little bit more than 30% in terms of ratio of plays, but also for Chris Rodriguez, to have a little bit more of a helping hand or a little bit more of an advanced role than even Brian Robinson and certainly Antonio Gibson. Um, the offense you kind of mentioned, we'll get to Sam Howell. Now I've been kind of impressed, Chris, I got to be honest. I, I think Sam Howell's been better than most could have expected. I think he's done a nice job. The elephant in the room. And you kind of mentioned with the offensive line, mm -hmm. um, he's on pace to shatter uh, David Carr's record for being sacked. Um, and you mentioned no matter what metric you want to look at. Um, now, PFF will tell you that Washington offensive line isn't playing that poorly, but mm -hmm. they give up a bunch of pressures. You're there every week. Are mm -hmm. they 
Is it more Sam Howell the problem, not getting the, the, the football out of his hands, the offensive line, or just the philosophy that you kind of mentioned? They're dropping back too much. Yeah, John, I would say it's all a combination of that, of course, but I would say largely up until last Sunday at MetLife Stadium, it was mostly mostly on Sam Howell, not getting through his reads, not getting through his progressions, not seeing enough things quick enough. Not every play, not every throw, not every series, but that was mostly the problem. Now, on Sunday, Wink Martindale hit them with, you know, uh, a right, a left, the kitchen sink, and uh, basically the Brooklyn Bridge uh, on top of that and sacked them six times, five times in the first half and six times overall and an intentional grounding, which I don't know about you guys, I count as basically a sack. So really essentially was like seven sacks. Now, they did limit the Giants in the second half to only one sack and the one intentional grounding as they kept more seven guys in seven man protections. But even when they were seven man heavy jumbo set, they, I don't know. I I watched all the clips. They weren't very effective, quite honestly, running and or passing. And that leads me to Sam who, if you go back and you watch that game, even if you watch it condensed or the, you know, not even all 22, Sam had some opportunities on quick game on quick throws. Sailed them wide, high, all over the place, erratic. Not only the last play to Jahan Dotson where he spun out of heavy pressure and was on the run and and fighting for his life and he threw it a little bit behind Jahan and Jahan should have caught it, but it was just easy throws. Like first down, you know, 10, second series, Curtis Samuel, boom, sails it. So I start to worry. The kid is tough. He works hard. He's not rail thin or anything like that. I start to worry at 40 sacks or whatever it is, is the mental side of it now starting to kind of work its way in where he feels like I've got to get rid of this football before my feet are set, before my mechanics are set. And and I don't know exactly how to balance that, but all I know is that it's not good enough and it's not good there are times, like you guys saw on that final, you know, touchdown drive in Philadelphia, and they tied the game up with with nothing left on the clock. Yeah. There are times where Sam Howell is really effective when he's in a good rhythm, but there's not enough of those times, and that's where we are right now. Too many sacks, too many issues, mostly on Sam. The offensive line took correctly, I think, most of the blame on Sunday at MetLife, but the bottom line is. They've got to figure this out because they, they don't want to run the ball. They have an aversion of running the football, as I've mentioned to you guys. So they're putting it a lot on Sam. And the Eagles and Desai, of course, know this. And I would imagine they're going to blitz, you know, more than they typically would against a normal quarterback because, duh, who who doesn't see the problems that the commanders are having in every way and how it affects um, Darnold, how it affects Howell? Chris, let me go to an area of strength for the commanders, and that's their defensive line. Has been for a couple of years, and getting Chase Young back as part of that group in a productive way uh, only makes them that much better and is something I think any opponent's got to respect coming into the week. But after last week's game, Jonathan Allen gave the football fans a little extra entertainment. When asked about his frustration level, he went to a little bit of a profane lace tirade about seven years and not being able to get the job done and the like. And it was very entertaining. Thank you, Jonathan. (laughs) How did it play in the locker room 
were his teammates like rolling their eyes and going, you don't think we're giving effort? Are you looking at us when you say that? Or was it, yeah, Jonathan, you the man. Thank you very much for stepping up and saying it because we're all frustrated yeah. too. It yeah. played one of two ways. Which way did it play more in that locker room? Well, so I haven't been with them since that game and, and that post game, but I will tell you in that locker room, they were all pissed as they should have been. They were not good enough in any way, even though the defense wasn't the culprit on Sunday, but they did get carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey on two drives. And it was way, 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 way too easy for an anemic Giants offense. So I would say this, I don't know how it's necessarily played out like IE yesterday because I wasn't there. I'm doing my show uh, at the time, but I know that Jonathan Allen is universally respected. He speaks for all of them. Nobody was mad. I mean, Chase Young had talked to him. He had a big old dip in his mouth, which pissed off a lot of Commanders fans. I don't know. I don't care about that stuff. Uh, he didn't have much um you know, positive to say, talk to Montez Sweat, same basically uh, thing. Here, here's what I know, guys. Here's what I know. This all-star defensive line, Chase Young has bounced back here and has played six games because he missed the season opener, and he's been really, really good as a pass rusher. Mm, he's yeah. developed an inside rip move, an inside attack move where he'll go for the right shoulder, I guess it is, of the left tackle and remember what he did to Jordan Mailata uh in Philadelphia in week one in, in week four he he blew through him for a sack and also had uh I think it was another uh four or five pressures or whatever it was in that game um so Chase has been really good what hasn't happened yet is Chase Young and Jonathan Allen working next to each other have not had that cohesion and rhythm on stunts, on games, on stuff like that, where you don't have to blitz to get that extra pressure. And it seems like they're almost, I don't know, I don't want to say battling each other, but just not in cohesion. And then at times, Montez Sweat and Deron Payne have taken over games against bad opponents, i.e. Arizona and Denver early in the year. But I got to be honest with you, even in that Philadelphia game, I mean, Montez Sweat had one late pressure on Jalen Hurts. Deron Payne really wasn't there. And when you're paying a guy $22.5 million, you need a big play. You need a big momentum series. You need a big swift, uh, a big, uh, you know, um, change. Uh, and, and you need to do it swiftly, uh, not Taylor swiftly, but you need to get that done quickly. Nice. And they don't do it enough. So I would say against this Eagles offensive line, it's probably going to be a 50-50 split battle. And Washington will have some success. But I'd... Like, I, I, they're not good enough. They're not dominant enough, guys, to take over games against really good offenses, period. Well, I, I, I'll say this about that defensive front. It looks great on paper, but you're right. It hasn't really come to that point where you say it's it's where the Eagles are as perhaps the best defensive nope. front football. Correct. Um, you're right. So Tom. I'll say this to you, Chris. Is this the last game we see those four together? Uh, because there's a lot of rumors about Chase Young being shopped, mm -hmm. even Montez Sweat being shopped. One, you kind of explain why, but mm -hmm. boy, it's tough to give up players like that. And this is that time of year. You saw the Eagles, Howie Roseman is a killer this time of year. Kevin Byers <laughs> already here. People are talking yep. about him adding more. Is this potentially the last game that foursome plays together? Yeah, this front office is the anti-Howie Roseman. They are... <laughs> 
as lukewarm, as vanilla, and as cautious as you can possibly be. And the moves they make aren't very good, to be honest with you. So let's start uh, with that. I've been advocating all week after the Giants' loss to trade both of them, not because I want to, but because they're free agents. They're represented by the same agency. They're best friends. And again, they're just, for whatever reason, they're just not good enough as a quartet to wreck games. And you've already paid Jonathan Allen 18 plus million dollars a year and already paid Deron Payne, which I would have never thought at the beginning of last year, 22 and a half million dollars a year. So you can't, maybe you can pay one of these guys long-term. You can't pay both of them. Even if you say long-term for one franchise for another, well, the franchise tag for a premier defensive end, which one of them is it would be is $25 million a year. How are you going to get all of that money yeah. into your cap and prove your offensive line, improve this, improve that and resign cam curl and low, you know, and, and all the other free agent. I don't see it. So to me, I would rather trade one. And I said both yesterday, uh, Tuesday on the radio. Um, I would rather trade one, at least if not both, and get something in the upcoming draft where I presume a new regime will be in place instead of waiting for a potential compensatory pick in 2025. I don't think it's you want to trade talent. I think it's, oh my God, it's not working for whatever reason. These guys want top dollar. It doesn't make cap sense. This is not a money cash issue from... Josh Harris, as you guys know, I mean, he's spent yeah. $6 billion on the team. It's not a money or cash issue. It's a cap issue. And it's a what makes sense issue based on what you've already done. So to me, I would trade both, <laughs> which I know is team suicide. You are what you are. The Titans knew what they were when they traded Kevin Bayard to the Eagles. They're two and four, which is different than three and four. But they knew and understood what they are, which is not a good team. The commanders before Sunday at three and four and presumably probably three and five should know what they are. And my fear is this front office, this head coach does not understand what they are and what they aren't. All right. Last one for me. And I've kind of had a, from afar, a love hate relationship thing with Terry McLaurin. Cause I guess I heard too many people go, one of the best wide receivers in the nation. That's me. I, I blame. Yeah, I'm, I'm not blame. How many do you have to go down before you draw the line of not one of? Top 10, maybe the bottom of the top 10. That, for me, doesn't make him one of the best wide receivers. It makes him a very good wide receiver, but yeah. not one of the best. And we've had this semantical debate before. I mean, here's the thing, guys. You, you remember what he did in his NFL debut at the start of 2019 at the link where he, he had the long, long touchdown on the deep post and then should have had a second one. He's got that kind of explosive take-off-the-top ability, the ability to change games. We've seen it from time to time. The problem is, and I truly do feel this way, and this is not like me being a campaign manager for Terry. He's a great dude, a hard worker, really talented, really smart, really mature, all of that, great leader. The problem is he hadn't had a quarterback worth a, a, a damn enough. And Sam Howell is the best he's had. Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, uh, Kyle Allen, uh, Carson Wentz. Get to my guy. Have. Come I, on. I Pass me a Heine. Come on. I know, but he he just has like Heine. Heine was the best quarterback he's had. Heine and I think Heine's better than Sam Al. Yeah, but Heineke, uh, uh, you know, Heineke 
at times he would find Terry on big plays, but a lot of times they'd be like way short and Terry would have to readjust and do this crazy like acrobatic, which again is part of your job as a receiver. My point being is I want to see what Terry McLaurin could be if they actually got him a real quarterback, a real chance to evaluate That being said, that being said, I see the greatest potential combo. Kirk Cousins and uh, oh, put a monster John McMullen would go nuts. He'd predict yeah. 4,000 hey. yards for yes. Kurt and uh, uh, 1,200 of them. For well, McCord. he wouldn't be Jefferson, but he'd Kirk, put up monster right. numbers. Kirk is my monster. guy, and that's the yeah. last really good quarterback this team has had. I, I can't believe, Chris, I, I, I got to go on my Kirk Cousins tangent because you're a Kirk Cousins guy. What, what the break do people not get about this guy? My one criticism is, look, I've heard I don't know if you know Colin Thompson. He's former NFL tight end. He mm-hmm. just raves about him to him. Patrick Mahomes called him the most underrated uh, quarterback in football. That's Patrick Mahomes. Troy Aikman said, this guy's really good mm-hmm. uh, on Monday night. Nobody thinks he's good. What What is... What are people missing? Now, you know, you know what it what it comes down to. It comes down to a only one career playoff win, and then a couple of week seventeen or week eighteen, depending on the year we're talking about meltdowns against winnable teams, and against games that the Vikings had to win. And you know when you get outgunned by Daniel Jones and the Giants in the playoffs, but I, I, that that's, see that's what I'm saying, Chris. Right? He I don't freaking think... kept them in that game. Yes. The defense allowed Daniel Jones to march up and down the field. Kirk Cousins kept him in the game. Correct. And that's the problem is that we often, too often, evaluate quarterbacks just based on team wins and losses. Now, there have been some rotten eggs that Kirk has well, laid course, in some big spots. I'm not, I'm not telling you yeah. that that hasn't happened. I don't care. I don't know about you guys. I don't give a rat's you-know-what about primetime games and all that crap. No, I don't care one bit. Yeah. But Kirk Cousins... Not only has he been the best quarterback the Washington Commanders, Redskins, football team, Walruses, Walnuts have had in a long time, but Kirk Cousins is one of the absolute best quarterbacks in the NFL. 4,500 yards a year, uh, the touchdown to interception ratio. Let me tell you something. When he walked in the door in 2012, guys, he didn't want to be here. He didn't want to be here because he knew they had made the commitment to Robert Griffin. Kyle and Mike Shanahan said, hang on. You're going to eventually, you're going to eventually be a starting quarterback in the NFL and it might be here. Okay. Cause they knew Griffin had limitations um, and, and they turned out to be dead on accurate and then some, right? So it was kind of fitting, even though Kirk has sometimes had these ups and downs and these ebbs and flows for him to do it against Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco on well, Monday night still without Justin Jefferson, yeah. right? Yeah. Without yeah. Justin Jefferson. And I just hope that Cousins can find a way, you know, uh, to maybe do, you know, what some great athletes, you know, like Joel Embiid, you guys deal with this all the time in Philadelphia, right? I, I mean, how great is he during the regular season and at times in the yeah. playoffs, but is it enough to get over the top? And so, you know, yeah. so I just hope that happens for Kirk because he's A, a really good dude, B, a really good quarterback. And yeah, I'll admit I'm selfish. I'm biased. I've known him since 2012. Well, you're fine. Um, I finally found somebody else at yeah. WrestleMania 621. <laughs> Make sure you follow uh, Chris uh, uh, on Twitter, X, whatever you like to call it. I got to get in real quick. Josh Harris, low bar, but we know Josh so well from yep. here in the Sixers. He mentioned Joel Embiid. 
Um, everyone's got to love Josh, Josh Harris, right? But that's because of Daniel Snyder. I, what, what, what is you know the thought process of Josh? Because yeah, he's- so so some people have uh, have already like fans that saw like video shots of him during the Bears blowout on Amazon, having a good old time in the suite and looking like he was enjoying a frosty beverage or two and maybe three. So fans and media, you know, have have been like kind of poking a little bit and being like, oh, that's not the right look for. No-. Listen, yeah, compared to Dan Snyder, it's it, it's it's like you know. Uh, park place in, in Manhattan versus, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the lowest Bowery, of the lows yeah. in any yeah. city America. Right. Okay. Not a hard bar to uh, achieve. Now the quick question or the quick thing will be how patient is he with Ron Rivera and this front office and Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator. And so far he has been, uh, I know for a fact, they don't want to be the bad guy, but you see what magic tweets after some of these bad losses, you can imagine what's going on in that yeah. suite when they're all watching the game and watching these disasters and losing games that they have no business losing. So I think they want to be patient. They don't want to be the, you know, the, the, the renegades, if you will, they don't want to even want to do what the Walton family did to uh, what's his name out in Denver last year where they fired him after 12, yeah. 13 games. Well, yeah, I can't, you know, I can blame the Walton family for a lot, not firing <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett. But, but I do wonder, I do wonder after Thanksgiving in Dallas and with the stretch that they have coming up, Philadelphia at New England and that defense and Mac Jones finally showed a pulse at Seattle, then the Giants at home, and then Dallas on a short week Thanksgiving. If it gets real ugly in one and four, oh, and five in this stretch, I think that's the natural evolving spot to say goodbye, Ron, and, right, uh, one, and move one on. One quickie, and we've kept you way too long. we got to wrap the show. Who would they turn it over to? I, I love this when fans wind up. Like last week, I, Belichick's done in New England. No, he's not. <laughs> Shut up. Um <laughs> But they never have the answer of, okay, if you're right, don't think so. Right. Who's going to take over? Who would so, they turn it over to? Would they give it to the new offensive corner who's been there about 20 minutes? Would they make him the head coach? So it's a fascinating question, guys. And I've been trying to wrestle with this all offseason and talk about this. You know, we got to come up with stuff to talk about. Sure. I said all along it would be Jack Del Rio because I thought the defense would be better than it is. He's a two-time Former head NFL coach, head right. coach, 190 year uh, games of NFL head coaching experience. Eric Bieniemy is a first year play caller. All this stuff. My guess is, my guess, if they fire Rivera, it's probably because the defense never really rallied to the cause. They might fire Del Rio as well, and mm-hmm. then you almost have no choice but to go to Bieniemy. But if Del Rio survives, which again he could, and if the offense continues to crater. I would assume it would be the guy with most more experience. Again, remember, Biennemi has been a coordinator and a coach for a long time. This is his first year exclusively calling plays out of the shadow of Andy Reid. He's got enough to deal with, and he's been spotty as it is. He's got enough to deal with. I would go with Del Rio, even if the defense doesn't become lights out, which I don't think it will. I would go with Del Rio, but of course, if they fire Rivera and Del Rio, then who else do you go with? Chris, yeah. you just bummed Eagle fans out. They want to be the ones who take out the Washington coach. They want their beatdown of the commanders to lead to the firing of the coach. Yeah. It's just uh, I don't a little, think that's going to happen. A little this... too early for it to happen yeah. this year. Exactly. Don't get mad at Chris. Don't get mad at the, the uh, we're, we're, get we're, mad we're, at Roger Goodell for yeah. out the schedule. Oh, uh, we're up against it. One last, last thing, Chris. 
is it easy to take over FedEx still? Yes. Eagles fans generally take over FedEx yeah. field. I mean, it? listen, the atmosphere so has been way better this yeah. year because of the new owners and, 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 you know, everything that we just talked about and they got off to a two and O start. It's been way better, but right now at three and four, I, I would imagine a lot of commanders fans will still be there, but it'll probably, it probably won't be the, the, the major advantage, you know, to the Eagles as it has been the last couple of years, but it'll still be a probably a 55 45 maybe split somewhere in that range give or take a couple of percentage points um because commanders fans bought in and they bought into the hope and the hype and all that so i'm sure they snapped up tickets and not everybody wants to quit on the season at 3 and 4 i get it i understand yeah. that but it won't be as bad as it's been in favor of the Eagles, but it won't be that hard for Eagles fans to get tickets on the secondary market uh, if they haven't already done so. Because, you know, Commanders fans are frustrated. They're not frustrated with Josh Harris. They're angry as hell at Ron Rivera in the front office, as well they should be. It's a very mediocre, mediocre plus best uh, operation. And that's, you know, three and a half years of sample size host and uh, reporter and uh, chief commander guy for heck of a mad dog Russo impression as well. And a tremendous <laughs> mad dog Russo impression. Chris, Chris Russell here I with appreciate us you guys. 365. Thanks, Chris, Chris, I will talk to you later on this afternoon. Thank you very much for jumping in with us. All right, Mac and Mac coming back. We put got to put a bow on the show. Yeah. Stay right there. you own a company and you're not producing a podcast you're missing out the public consumes messaging when they're ready join the professional podcast network of companies and let jacob media partners put you in the podcast arena come to our professional studio or we'll come to your place of business and professionally produce your company podcast call jacob media right now at 267-261-3428 267-261-3428 my name is dr bruce grossinger and I'm the medical director of Philadelphia PRP and Stem Cell Institute. I'm reaching out to those who suffer from spine and joint pain. We use treatment methods that require no surgery, no scalpel, no drugs. Running, walking, or whatever your desires are, Dr. Groshner is where you need to come. You can benefit from the same PRP and stem cell treatment as Wolbert Montgomery. Call us now at 610-222-5675. We're here to show you a better way to spend your state income taxes and get the money to where it's needed to move to the thousands of qualified kids. What we like about blocks is they really know where the need is. This program ensures that their dollars come 100% into these kids for their tuition assistance. If you are able, blocks makes the EITC piece go very quickly and very smoothly. Turn your PA state tax liability into need-based scholarships and receive a 90% tax credit. 
Win and save this baseball season from Colony Pools and Power Washing, a local company serving Delaware, Delco, and Chester County since 1970. Are you tired of looking at your greenhouse? Is your roof, siding, deck stained green from algae and mold? Let the experts pressure wash your home and take the pressure off of you. Win with Colony Pools and Power Washing. Call them now at 302-762-2250. That's 302-762-2250. EA. G-L-E-S Eagles Alright, we ran a little long with Chris Russell That's because he's A, good on the air And B, a good dude uh, So we're uh, running out of time here uh, What do you got today, Johnny Mac? Full-fledged practice Full-fledged practice. practices That yes. Coach Sirianni was talking about two weeks ago Full-fledged practice So, good to see uh, Jalen Uh See if he's wearing a knee brace. Try to dis- decipher that. Read Blankenship. Don't expect to see Bradley Roby. But, you know, pretty healthy compared to what they have been. Yeah. And uh, Milton Williams back into the fray as well. Uh, but they've been phenomenal on the defensive line. And they're going to the tune of eight sacks against the commanders. Remember, uh, who, who, tomorrow we got... Um, Who's joining us tomorrow? Uh, Paul Paul Domino Domo and, and Dicheco, uh, Andrew Dicheco. Dicheco. So far, everyone's gone under seven and a half sacks, except for the Mac Man. I'm going over eight sacks on Sam Howell on Sunday. Nicholas Morrow's going to have four this week. Uh, I think it's. I'm going to go under four. We, we've for been Nick debating Morrow. the whole Nicobe yeah. Morrow thing. Maybe Nicobe gets a couple of split yeah, maybe, opportunities maybe. on Sunday. They Wait. did blitz more against Sam Howell the first time than they typically do. But one thing I will guarantee is they will not blitz as much as Wink Martindale did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Wink for you. He loves the blitz. All right, uh, Mac and Mac, guys, I'm here tomorrow. You in, McD- uh, McMullen? Yeah, hour one, Bill Colarulo, hour two for you, uh, Jody, because I got to go down to uh, Friday is okay. your out of Dodge yeah. day. All right, cool. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, Mac and Mac and Mac and Bill in hour number two in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.